Welcome to the Knack for Business podcast, where we talk with experts around the globe about relevant business topics to help you succeed in your business. The hosts are Bernie Franzberg and Wayne Pratt. Knack for Business is about sharing knowledge, networking, architecture, connecting, and being creative. That is what Knack stands for. The common threads of any business are people, money, continuous change. In a diverse world, we are unique and face the same wins and challenges. In this podcast, we invite you to learn about what is out there and how connecting with people and ideas helps us. We cover a range of business topics from yourself, finances, legal, real estate, IT, social media, and anything else to the list that supports your work. Even your competitors have something to offer you. My name is Bernie Franz Group from Creative Insight. My co-host is Wayne Pratt from Motivate You. At Creative, we are B2B connectors, actually people-to-people connectors. We bring you those interesting business people that can help grow yours. At Creative, we help you awaken your knack to connect with the business communities and networks to leverage your business. Wayne, tell us a bit about Motivate You, Inc. Motivate You is a goal-setting and coaching company that helps owners and entrepreneurs be, do, and have more, including more fun. Quick thank yous for their support. First off, Carl Richards from Podcast Solutions Made Simple, the podcast expert. Brad Crouch, the property wizard podcaster, where I'm a co-host, and my business partner, Melanie Weber, plus Wayne Pratt from Motivate You for sparking these podcasts. Our podcast sponsor is NotionHive.com. They help you stay ahead of the curve with their strategic and award-winning full-service creative digital agency solution. They collaborate with brands all over the world. Today's guest is Ilya Lovoski. Ilya is a digital forensics expert and a data recovery specialist. His employment history includes working for a law enforcement agency within Canada and many years of private sector expertise. He's a digital forensics instructor at the British Columbia Institute of Technology and Simon Fraser University. He holds numerous digital forensics and data recovery certifications and is in the midst of completing his master's degree in digital forensics. Today's topic is expert data recovery and modern problems. Ilya, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So tell me a bit about the instructional experience that you had at the BCIT and SFU, the university and the college. I have been a digital forensic instructor in BCIT for the past five, five and a half years, teaching both full-time program and part-time program. I teach about seven or eight different courses in the program, all of them dedicated to digital forensics. I have recently started to teach in SFU, that's the Simon Fraser University here in British Columbia, and I'm teaching also the same topic, digital forensics. How did you get into data recovery and the digital forensics? That's a funny thing because I wasn't actually aiming to get into that field. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and I have a bachelor's degree in economics. So I have nothing to do with technology, never took any IT courses or classes. And somewhere back way in the past, about 17, 18 years ago, I was hired with what I'm doing. I just started sending resumes all over the place. I don't know why, I don't know how, but my resume got to this company that was doing data recovery and digital forensics. And I don't know again why or how, but they somehow liked me. So they took me in and they taught me everything I know. Now, it's not that digital forensics or data recovery is something that you can go and take in any college or university. The only programs that are available are the ones that I teach here. And 
people in my field would have to be self-taught individuals and they would have to learn on their own or just learn from somebody else with a vast experience in the field and it would be like a secret craft moved from more experienced folks to less experienced folks. I was lucky enough just to be there at the right place at the time. I have a question, Ilya. I'm an old geek and I go back to the Bernoulli Drive and there's a name that you've probably heard. And so you have this data, but you can no longer use it because the operating system is gone. What do you do to keep your operating systems current so the data that you're trying to save it's portable. There's like a threshold at which point someone like that would have to decide, you know what, it's time to move on. The technology kind of moves forward and even CD and DVD drives are almost no longer with us. I still hear questions from people here and there. Hey, I have floppy drives. Can something be done about that? Honestly, no. Most of the companies that do something like that, they are no longer sustain those environments. That's just time to move on. What type of devices can you recover from? We just talked about a couple of old formats. It's almost like talking about the VHS and beta tapes to three and a half inch floppies to the five and a quarter inch floppies. Remember those. So what can you recover data from? You'll be surprised. People still keep data on them. But looking forward to now, so many devices have something inside them that we don't even think about. I'll give you an example. Alexa, an Alexa device can be chipped off and some information can be recovered from it. And I've done it in the past. Printers, advanced printers, they have hard drives inside. Obviously, the, all the common tools like SSD, flash, hard drives, all the common devices are hopefully and obviously recoverable, but servers and big radar aids, places we wouldn't even think about looking into, like smartwatches, for example, they contain a lot of information about us, like health data, personal data, assistance, tablets, mobile phones, definitely. You look, even with this whole age of the IoT, in and of things, sometimes even our fridge knows things about us. So wherever you look, you will find something that contains some personal data. You know what? PlayStation, I often ask my students, what can you recover from PlayStation? And the answer is a lot. You can recover credit card information. You can recover the address of the individual if you're looking for someone. If you, you can recover banking information and you can recover a lot of personal data, virtually any digital device. That almost can sound scary. So when you're ditching a digital device, how do you scrub it then for information? Hey, it's a good question. I'll give you an example. We purchased an Android device for our students in BCIT. It's a device that has been factory reset, purchased by us from Craigslist. Once I started to work with the device just to show my students how it goes, I was able to recover data, not from one, but from two previous users of the device, including pictures, text messages, call logs, and private information. So yeah, you know what? It's something I always, again, tell my students, when you upgrade your mobile phone, for example, don't think that factory resetting the phone would be good enough and somebody with my skills can potentially acquire the phone, recover your data, and even extort you for something private and personal. So I always tell them if it's an old phone and, you know, it's a $100 bill, credit, whatever, don't bother, just destroy it. Don't give anyone your old devices because things can be recovered from them. That's really eye-opening. Back to recovery from old platforms and old floppy drives and IDE drives. And I remember zip drives at one point um, were fairly popular. So can that be recovered or do you have a reader that the device can fit into? Can you still retrieve data? 
Floppy drives, that's a discussion to some parts. Floppy drives, you can buy some USB floppy drives on eBay, although again, you can rarely find those, but you can. And if you do then, then it's a matter of working with the proper file system and having the software that can work with those. I do have all of that, but honestly, floppy drives, I mean, by now, specifically if it's a 20, 25 year floppy drive, it will just fail irreversibly on this whole magnetic data of storage will just go and not be readable anymore. ID drives are still here. And surprise, surprise, but people are still using old computers and ID drives are still popping up here. And there's nothing different about ID and SATA except the way you connect them. So it's not a big deal. Zip drives, with that being said, I don't think anyone is dealing with those. I don't think you can buy anything from them. What is making fabulous return now are the backup tapes. And backup tapes used to be a thing in the past, then kind of people stopped using them. But now backup tapes are here and backup tapes are being used to backup servers and huge RAID massives. And those backup tapes, again, surprise, surprise, can play as any tape. And that's definitely something that can be recovered and saved for sure. What's driving the renaissance? What's driving the renaissance? It's cheaper, it's easier to use, it's more secure in a way. If you look at kind of the statistics, and I know that may surprise some people, and we can compare between backup tapes, modern hard drives, mechanical hard drives, and SSDs, backup tapes would be the more reliable method of storage. Then it would be hard drives, and then, and this may come as a shock to some people, SSD drives are very and highly not reliable. I see a lot of SSD drives going bad. And when an SSD drive is going bad, it's very challenging to get something from it because the technology is maybe not there yet to fully support SSD recovery. And people are sometimes losing their data irreversibly from an SSD drive. I would say price, security, and reliability. That's what drives the tapes back. So if you're running a platform and if taking from the perspective, not of clearing my information away, but having redundancy, would you then suggest having cloud backups? I would. And you know what? Cloud backup is where people should be. Cloud backups, that's what's eventually probably going to drive data recovery companies out of business on one hand. On the other hand, what's a cloud? Cloud is just someone else's computer and those computers eventually can go bad. Now, lots of people I speak and meet express their concern with having their data in the cloud. People don't trust other companies. People don't trust other people. And saying, hey, okay, so you say you should do a cloud backup? It means that my data will be on someone else's computer. What guarantees that they won't see my pictures, they won't see my documents, and who knows? They might be right. They cannot defend a company that I have no idea what's going on inside. I tell them, okay, you know what? Maybe you are right. So cloud backups, it's cheap nowadays. You can go to Backblaze, pay $8 a month. Everything will be backed up. What's going on behind the scenes? No one knows. What's your simplest and most complicated case that you've been involved with? Simplest, Seagate. Seagate, they had this series of Seagate drives, 7,200.12. And that series was flawed. I'm not going to go too technical on you, but they had an issue with their firmware, which would fail irreversibly and the drive would not work. 
And back at the time, I think it was about eight, nine years ago, that drive was extremely popular. Everybody would have this drive. And those drives would just die like flies. And the company I was working for, it was not in Canada, outside of Canada. We would get like 10, 12, 20 drives a day. The fix was to get 15 seconds with the right tools. 15 seconds, connect it, update the phone, well, change something, the drive is operational again. They would charge so much money for those drives. That's what made this company rich at the end of the day. But yet it was extremely simple fix. Complicated. I dealt with cases that, I'll give you an example. I dealt with a case when a drive was damaged by a terror attack and the drive was I guess, damaged by some sort of an explosion and a platter inside the drive to the data platters. One of the platters got actually shattered to pieces, but then the other platter remained intact. I was able to recover some data out of that one. I was involved with that recovery of devices from crashed airplanes. So, you know, big black boxes and devices underwent a lot of stress. I even once recovered a mobile phone that spent almost six months in the sea, under the water. So things like that. Is that a lot of time, effort, and expense? In other words, if I drop my own phone into the water and I'm out fishing in the ocean where there's salt water, even more corrosive. And obviously if the case is serious and there's pertinent information, what type of budget would a company or an agency have? And what type of time layers are you looking at for something that's complicated or it's been through Hell and back. It all basically depends on the expertise of the individual working on. The budget could be quite high because it's time consuming. You are right. Talking specifically about mobile phones, going this whole micro-soldiering pad and replacing internal components, or even, I don't know if people are aware about it or not, but on an iPhone, you can even move some components to a healthy iPhone. And I know that so if people would come from the field, they will say everything's encrypted and connected one to another. If you move the right components from a failed iPhone to a working iPhone, you might get access to the data. And that's something that is being done. Now, it's extremely challenging. And the most kind of challenging part, two pieces. One is identify the flaw. Where exactly does it hold to an iPhone? And two, the micro-soldiery part, which is extremely complicated. Think about all those CPUs and all those NANs and chips you see inside with thousands of connectors and all. They would have to be manually removed, cleaned, and prepared for transfer or anything else that can be done with those guys. I would say it's extremely time-consuming. You need to have patience. You need to have the right equipment, the right experience, because it's very easy to break something if you don't know what you're doing. You watch television, ESI or FBI. What is the biggest myth that people think is the truth from people looking at this? computer they're bringing back that the tech guy brings back that you don't know not really that's fiction oh my god yeah so many times it's like watching a comedy show for me you can see him type those buttons and numbers run on the screen and yeah okay i hacked into pentagon or whatever there was a story i don't know if people heard about that one though like an actual story involving fbi there was a terror attack somewhere in 2000s in united states and fbi worked was able to acquire a mobile phone from the terrorist, an Apple mobile phone. I don't know if you heard about that story or not. They wanted that mobile phone to be unlocked by Apple and Apple told them, hey, we don't do that. Then it actually came out of a situation where FBI actually sued Apple for 
trying to get them, to make them, to unlock the phone. And Apple kept saying, we don't have any backdoors. We don't know how to do it. And then eventually a company called Celebrite, a company that I work with a lot and I use their tools for teaching, came in and said, hey, you know what? We can unlock that phone for you. And they did by using the right tools, for example. And you never see those tools on the television. You just see them typing some random words. You need to have the right tools, and which are expensive. You need to have the right technology. Companies like Celebrite, which is an extremely expensive device to have, that company can help you with mobile phones, recovering that from mobile phones, digital forensics from mobile phones. And that's just one of the examples. I've got two questions for you coming up now. One, what is the process for recovery from a hard disk drive? And understanding that a solid state drive is different than a physical hard drive, or is the recovery the same? And if I want to have one of those old Seagates or I have an external drive and I want to purge it, how do I properly purge it? Okay. Good questions. So when it comes to data recovery, I usually divide it into two realms. One I call logical and one I call physical. Logical meaning that the actual drive is healthy and intact and the data, something happened with the data. It was either deleted, formatted, encrypted, something was done with the data. Now, I do want to mention something about SSD drives that maybe people are not aware of. There's a function called the trim function, T. R-I-M, trim function. That function, the idea behind that function is if a file is deleted from an SSD, that file should no longer stay there. And the trim function is what makes the SSD go and wipe and override all the deleted data. And they do it to extend the lifespan of an SSD drive, but it also puts a lot of challenge on data recovery. Recovering deleted files on a hard drive, if you know what to do, if you know what tools to use, technology to use, it's quite easy because files are not actually gone. They are still there. Deleted files from an SSD, that's challenging because sometimes the trim function will make them go away. And the second realm is physical recovery. When something is actually physically wrong with SSD or the hard drive. And for a hard drive, so many things could fail. It's an electrical and mechanical device. So internal components, read write heads, bad sectors, formal issues, electronical issues. All of that can be properly solved using, again, the right tools and the right skills and equipment. The best company in the world that currently creates data recovery tools is called Ace Lab, and their tool, Beast 3000, is what's being used by most of the data recovery companies out there. And, well, replacing internal parts, replacing internal components and hard drive, I always describe it to people like doing a brain surgery because it's extremely complicated and it's extremely volatile. Replacing the redried heads inside the hard drive, imagine a hard drive with eight redried heads that needs to be replaced. And you need to know what you're doing. All those YouTube videos that guide people on, hey, just open your drive and do this and that. No, it's not going to work. And people usually end up paying twice after that to a professional to do it for them. If you're going to pop open an actual physical hard drive, you better have a clean room to go work with because any little speck of dust in there will boot your efforts, even if you've done it well, based on YouTube instructions. My host comes from a healthcare background and with data being private in that industry, actually making sure they can't be rebooted at all is a big deal. So you're disposing 
an old laptop. The best solution that I always advise people, destroy your hard drive. And it's not that complicated. You know, just take a drill, take a hammer, drill through the platters. There are devices out there that are being sold for big companies. And those devices are either shred them, so physically squish them into a pile of metal or degauss them. So just putting in a powerful EMP, electromagnetic pulse to the drive. And you know what? I was once involved in a military project when we were testing degaussers. So they would degauss a lot of drives and they would, then, they would bring them to me for data recovery attempts to see if something remains. No, nothing remains. The drive may potentially still work, but all the data is gone because of those powerful EMP pulses. Honestly, not everyone has access to those tools. And my advice is don't ever give up or recycle or throw out the hard drive, just drill through the platters and then just give it to the recycling. Don't ever give away hard drive. Even if you fully formatted the drive, if you fully wiped the drive, I, for example, Seagate hard drives, they implore something called the media cache. The media cache is a part of a hard drive. Now, again, I'm going to go to technical, which is about 80 or 90 gigabytes big, and it's not accessible to the user, but the media cache contains user data. I was presenting at an international conference last year, and I was speaking about media cache, and it's a very good repository for data recovery, digital forensics but also for malicious people. Because if you have a Seagate drive, your media cache is full of data. You format the drive, you think you formatted the drive. And then somebody like me gets access to the drive. We can pull a lot of data from the drive, despite the fact that it was overwritten sector by sector. So there's no good advice except physically destroy the drive. Oh, yeah. So if someone wants to get into this line of work, what are their steps? I want to become a data recovery technician. Data recovery slash forensics. Is digital forensics. There are now courses and there are now programs. For example, the ones I teach in the bachelors in science in digital forensics and cybersecurity. I'm sure there are maybe a few more institutes in Canada and United States that teach those kind of programs. That would be probably my best advice. Start with a program like that. It's a two or three year program. They are also offered in a part-time environment, but it's not enough because our field is constantly evolving. Take me, for example, I always learning something, taking additional courses, working on my master's and taking some evening training, reading books. You cannot see my bookshelf behind me, but it's exploding. You can start with that, but you need to follow the path of knowing that you will be learning your entire life. It's not that you know how to, I don't know, fix a car with no disrespect. That's the same things you do on a daily basis. Our field is constantly evolving. The next step in our field, for example, is cloud forensics and people moving to the cloud. Now we need to learn how to do digital forensics in the cloud, how to do data recovery in the cloud. I'm sure something else will come up in a few years, something related to maybe artificial intelligence or whatever. We always need to be on the edge of the current technology and moving forward. Ilya, what are the top three takeaways people should have either about keeping their data safe or getting their data back? Number one will probably be the one we discussed. Don't ever give away your old devices, even if you think you fully and completely erase them. There's always a chance of something leaking out. The second one would probably be do backups, local backups, because, well, don't ever keep all your eggs in one basket. Have a few external hard drives, take a hard drive, copy your data once a month, put it in a drawer. Things can happen, even God forbid in house files or whatever. 
of somebody can break in and steal some, or you can lose your device. Have a few local backups. That's what I always tell people. The third one, I would probably look at some respectable cloud backup provider, such as Backblaze or maybe Dropbox. Google Cloud is also good. But then you have to make sure that whatever you upload, you feel comfortable about it. You maybe want to encrypt it on your own locally before you upload it. But cloud uploads and backups is definitely something you want to use if you want a peace of mind that your data will not be gone for good. Ilya, how can folks reach you? How can folks reach me? I would probably say my LinkedIn would be the best place to get in touch with me. Ilya Lewoski, to my co-host Wayne Pratt, to you, the Knack for Business listeners, thank you for being here and listening to us today. To reach me, it's uh, bfransgrowth at creativeinsight.com. It's B-F-R-A-N-Z-G-R-O-T-E at K-R-E-A-T-I-V-I-N-S-I-G-H-T.com. Creativeinsight.com is the website. Wayne, how can folks reach you, sir? Best way is my website, M-O-T-I-V-E, the numeral eight, the letter U, dot C-A. And my email is wayne at motivateyou.ca. Thank you for listening to Mac for Business. If you like this content, we have more coming. Like and subscribe. Give us a review. Until next time.